You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Crump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Hey, what's up, Grump? Just uh, got back about an hour ago from the Rocky Mountains, a little ski trip weekend and a little Super Bowl watching, so I am a little wired right now, so let's uh, let's talk about the big story last night and everything and, uh, and go from there. Well, you know what today is? Today is, for those of you listening, which will be Tuesday morning, it is officially the start of the 2019 offseason. The mandatory one day of, you know, Super Bowl winner's day will be over by the time you hear this. So New England Patriots <laughs> Day will be over as far as the rest of the world is concerned. And, uh, you know, everybody's O and O now. You know, Grump, I thought the offseason started after that uh, that loss to Dallas in opening night last year. But that's just me. Uh, well, that that's for the Giants. I mean, I'm just speaking in terms of uh, the whole league. Well, this is just Giants. Well, so. I'm, I'm just talking about the whole league, gotcha. the official start. Um, <laughs> before we get into the ins and outs of the game, I'm just going to say, you know, the Patriots have lost three Super Bowls in, what is it, nine appearances? Yeah. Two of which were to the Giants. Each time that they win, because I, I personally, I don't understand... I guess if you're like one of those Boston, New York people where you just hate everything Boston, but I personally, I don't understand the hatred for the Patriots as a Giants fan. I I don't care. Um, They mean nothing to me. If I were a Jets fan, it would obviously be something different because they're within the division. But each time that they win a Super Bowl, I feel better and better about the Giants being not the only team to beat them, but the only one to be undefeated against them in the playoffs. Um that's what really, yeah. Go ahead. Especially that 07 year where they went 18 and one, which is yeah, remarkable. That, that's what made last year so upsetting for me. I mean, obviously, I didn't want the Eagles to win a championship. I like seeing that city probably in more misery than Boston. But uh, the thing I always liked hanging over the Patriots were we were the only team that beat them in a Super Bowl. Yeah. And you know, when the Eagles won, you had a double whammy of they're no longer in the long-term drought. And now somebody else has done the same thing that we did. So that was my thing last year. Uh, you know, l- let's get into the little bit of this thing about, you know, you know, trying to put all this in the perspective what the Patriots have done. And, you know, the Tom Brady is now people are like, well, now you can say he's the goat, and, you know, silly things like that. And, you know, context of, you know, I've seen a lot of this last night and today that would you rather be six and three, in the Super Bowl versus four and zero, I mean, is that a I don't joke? Know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but is you know, as happy as Forty Nine er fans that are four and zero in the Super Bowl, and even the Giants with their four out of five, I'll take the six out of nine any day of the week. The more and times four- you get to the dance, the better. Right. Period. Yes. You mean you would? I would much rather be the Buffalo Bills who went to the Super Bowl and lost four times. Than a team like Cleveland that's never been to the Super Bowl. You took the you words know, right out of my mouth. The, the Jets that have been, I'm so fucking tired of this Joe Namath worshiping for, you know, something that happened 50 years ago. And, 
you know, if you want to have the argument that Eli Manning should or shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, Joe look Namath. up Joe Namath's career <laughs> numbers. The guy didn't even have a 50% who had more picks and touchdowns in his career. And I don't want to hear about injuries. The facts are the facts. So, you know, getting to the Super Bowl, you know, something that, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Jared Goff in a, in a little bit. And, you know, he's been to as many Super Bowls in his career as Dan Marino has. Put that in perspective, you know, how in, how difficult it is to just to get to the Super Bowl. And then, as difficult as it is, having one coach and one quarterback making nine in 18 years is it, – it's as amazing now in the salary cap era and smaller rosters and, you know, it's really amazing. It's it, it, It's, you know – it's indescribable. I mean, like in any other sport, it it's it's kind of something, you know, remarkable. But in football, in particular, where we see the ups and downs of you know, quote unquote, dynasties. I mean, the last time there was a dynasty was a span of what five years. This is like, you know, for some people now, an entire lifetime. I mean, there are adults, 18, 19 years old, where the Patriots have always been winners. <laughs> Think about well, that. And I'm serious. I, I saw something today that a Boston fan that is 93 days old has had more championships in their lifetime than if you were a Jets fan, a Knicks fan, uh, and whoever – like a, whoever over like the last 45 years. It's just crazy. Yeah. Um, the, the I mean, we are really living in you know very unique that in college football and the NFL we are in the middle of two amazing dynasties. For for people saying that now you can call him the goat, it's it's ridiculous. What he's been able to do is unprecedented in this sport. It, it just is. I mean, obviously you can't compare players of different positions. They're just sort of different. So people who argue LT or something like that, whatever, it doesn't matter. He's, he is, at this point, I don't think you can argue that there's a better quarterback. I don't care yeah. about the system. It, you know something? He's had 30 playoff wins over 19 years, has it been? And it took you the 30th playoff win in the 19th season in the sixth Super Bowl to say, okay, now I'll admit it. It's like, it, that's, just, that's just implying you just don't like the guy. And now you're like, well, I'm Which is fair. You don't have to like him, but just admit sure. it. Just say I just yeah. don't like him. Yeah, and and the the thing about him too that you can you know a lot of people like I grew up I'm a little older than the Grump so I saw Montana and Elway and Marino in their primes. I you know I saw the very end of Bradshaw, the very end of Starbuck, you know I kind of the the end of Fouts. So that's kind of my historical perspective. Is these guys may have been better athletes, maybe had stronger arms, maybe maybe a little accurate, but the total package of what this guy does and, you know, the fact that they've had a touchdown in all nine Super Bowls in the fourth quarter tells you the clutch gene that this guy has that other quarterbacks don't have. Uh, it's, it, you know, even the two Super Bowls, you know, that, you know, we beat them. He had touchdowns in the fourth quarter against us and we had to make, you know, you know drives really late to come back and win. It wasn't his fault. We just had to out clutch him. Yeah. Let's move into the, the game a little bit here. Um, I guess the biggest thing is that it was only 13-3. to three. It was one of the 
less entertaining for non-football fans, I'll say. You know, there, I'm sure there's football fans who didn't find it very entertaining. But if you don't like football, this was probably not fun to watch. But my biggest complaint is that's because you're not a football fan. You're not a yeah. Patriots fan, and you're not a Rams fan. <laughs> so those fans were on the edge of their seat praying for the one big play to break that game open. You know, it's not There's for fun. you. It doesn't have to be for you every year just because yeah. it's like the most watched sporting event in the country. There are four types of viewers who watch the Super Bowl. There is the diehard Patriot and Rams fan. There is the diehard football fan. There is the degenerate gambler. And then there's the people who don't watch football, but one of their friends is having a party, and it's a great time to eat food. And ask critique, everybody fucking questions. Cr- critique the commercials, which I'll get into that rant in a minute, <laughs> and whine and bitch about the halftime show. So, you know, one, two, and three, I thought it was a pretty good game. I mean, to me, there was a run of Super Bowls probably about 15 years ago where every game was a blowout. Every game was over. I mean, the Super Bowl that was here at MetLife, you know, a few years back, that game was over in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. And you're just sitting on your hands doing nothing. I mean, yes, there wasn't a lot of excitement. There wasn't a lot of big plays. There was only one play in the entire game in the red zone. But you know something? <laughs> the game was one play away on either side from the lead changing the entire game yep. up until you know, the very end. That's all you can ask for. I mean, you know, I think people who listen to this podcast specifically are probably falling into category two and three. You guys are football fans and you're probably degenerate gamblers. You're not, you know, this is not the just Patriots podcast. And I don't think there is a just Rams because there are no Rams fans, but I mean, I I would say the people that are listening to this show tonight, for the most part, were entertained by that game. And as Grump and I both did on separate occasions last night, not Kind of coordinating this, we both had almost the exact same tweet. The Super Bowl is not a TV show. No. It is not meant to maximize 100 million people's entertainment. It is to determine a champion in a league. Now, the NFL over the last 40 years has blown it up into this you know, major entertainment thing where you have to have the America the Beautiful, followed by the Star Spangled Banner, followed by 20 minutes of pregame, followed by a 35-minute halftime, all of this nonsense. But it's for people like us, it's you've been following this you know, soap opera for the last six months. This is the final chapter. This is the last episode in, in this season. We're just trying to find out how it ends up. What's, you know, does it have to be entertaining how it ends up? No. You know, so... I think the people are going to bash the NFL because all oh, the Super Bowl sucked and the ratings were down. The ratings were down because the people who don't care just didn't care. So, you know, I'm sure we'll also we'll talk about the halftime show and all the commercials and all that bullshit and everything. But, you know, the NFL did what it's supposed to do yesterday. And, you know, two of the four best teams in the NFL for the entire season met in a championship game. You know, if you would have rolled the dice 10 times and if it would have been any combination of the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Rams and the Saints, you would have had multiple different outcomes. These are four pretty closely matched teams. And this happened to be a situation where it was just a low scoring game where the offenses didn't really play well. That's it. 
You have a champion crown. You move on to next year. Yeah. And, you know, for the most part, the defense has played really well. It's not 100% that the offenses didn't play well. I mean, this is Tom Brady we're talking about with Gronkowski. And Edelman played out of his mind. You know, Sony Michelle. There's just so many names. Brandon Cooks. You know, Todd Gurley. We'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit. But and, Jer- and Jerry Goff. And Jerry Goff. You know, I mean, Robert gonna- Woods. There, there are plenty of names of guys who are talented and exciting to watch. That were shut down, and that's because of good defensive play by the likes of, you know, guys like Marcus Peters, Stephen Gilmore, uh, Van Noy, you know, the, Dominic, Dominic and Sue, all these guys yeah, on both course. sides. Yeah, it was, you know, to me, a game in which the Giants are not playing, my excitement level has a limit. I'm not going to get any more excited because I'm not invested. You know, I love football, and I, I do this shit for fun. I mean, I sit down and I break down individual plays and rewind them and play them in slow motion and watch mechanics and shit like that. But I still can't reach beyond that cap because my emotional level is not there. So it doesn't matter to me. Now, if everybody else had that internal barometer to just understand that you can only get as much excitement as you're going to get, then you won't disappoint yourself when the outcome of a game, which is what it is, a game, not a TV show, you know, isn't what you wanted. I'm sorry that it wasn't back and forth with the scoreboard lighting up all over the place, you know, but nobody's forcing you to watch. I don't care. Do whatever. Yeah. You have your own life to live. You know, it's, it's a very difficult thing where the, the Super Bowl presentation, you know, from the beginning of the pregame show through once you flip over to, you know, ESPN for the postgame show and everything, when you have 100 million people roughly watching you are never going to please everybody ever, you know, and you know, it doesn't matter who the halftime show is. There's going to be people who are not going to be happy. And you have, you know, a range of people watching from people in their seventies and eighties to people who are 10 and 15. And, you know, the great divide of music happened. The first one was in the fifties when rock and roll came on and, you know, the kids wanted to hear Elvis and the parents wanted to hear Duke, Duke Ellington. Well, guess what? We have the second great divide now where people who are older and, you know, a lot of them who are white don't want to hear hip hop. So it doesn't matter who comes on in the middle of Maroon 5, you know, interlude or something. People are going to be like, what is this garbage? Whether, you know, it's so my point is that, you know, anything the NFL does is going to get blasted by people who in their mind have been built up that, you know, Every commercial they've ever seen in a Super Bowl for the last 30 years is the funniest thing they've ever seen or the most creative thing they've ever seen. You know, uh, the best national anthem you've ever heard in your life. You know, you know all these different things. It's, it's selective memory, and it's usually not true. So I, I don't know why people get so wrapped up in just complaining about everything. Well, it's not even that. It's even praising something. Like, listen, I remember, you know, the Whitney Houston national anthem. I don't need to be reminded every year that it was the best one that ever happened. You and know, why was it the best one? It was time and place. It was the Gulf War it started yeah. a week earlier. It yeah. was it was a product of a situation. You know, it turned I mean, out it was also was- the performance was outstanding. But who fucking cares? It's I remember <laughs> the game. I I don't know. It, it, I I guess I'm just different because you know I don't fall into that category, and that's fine. But like. Whether it's bashing the halftime show or the national anthem or praising it, I don't care. 
those are the superfluous extras that are meant to enrich the experience. If they didn't, they didn't. If they were great, they were great. I don't need to be reminded about last year. What was what was my example? Nineteen years ago, twenty nine years ago, twenty nine years ago. Oh my God, Grump! I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> that was twenty nine years ago. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's you know, I didn't watch it today, but I'm sure if you turned on Good Morning America or the Today Show, one of the guaranteed the lead was maybe about the Patriots winning another championship, but it was, we'll review those commercials. What were the, the ones that hit and the ones that miss? It's kind of like how, what people wear to the Oscars is more important than what won for best picture. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just what culture is today. And just that, like you said, superfluous nonsense that the football fan just doesn't give a shit about. Yeah. And, you know, and for the record, you know, people throwing apart the, uh, the halftime show, my my, when was the last good halftime show? I mean, who cares? Like every halftime show I've seen has been at best, you know, eh. Because it's got to toe that line. I mean, like the Bruno Mars one was okay. Tom Petty was pretty good. Um, yeah. those are the only two that even stand out to me. The ones that stand out for me was Prince, which was well, really good. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Springsteen, but again, these are artists that I personally like. Uh, the three I've been to, the three Super Bowls, were the one in Tampa in 2000 was the combination of uh, InSync, Britney Spears, and Aerosmith, which was god awful. I mean, you're trying to throw the kitchen sink into 12 minutes, that never works. So, yeah. what I did, I got a hot dog and there were zero lines. That was great. <laughs> um, Tom Petty for that the first Giants Patriots Super Bowl, which was pretty good, but when you're there, the sound quality is awful, yeah. especially in a dome. So that's not his fault. Good show. Uh, and then the last one was Madonna, which was god awful. I mean, it was really wretched. It's but, just yeah, but I again, mean, like now, people are slamming it. Like last year's was so good, or the year before. Like they're never really good. I mean, yeah. like every decade, there's maybe one halftime show that isn't wretched. So like well, again, again, you're trying to throw the kitchen sink in 15 minutes. You'll have you know Coldplay was the announced act. Okay, cool. But, you know, you hear maybe a verse and maybe a chorus of a song onto the next song, and then all the guests show up, and it's no longer, well, it's no longer a co-play act. It's, you know, Beyonce has to horn her way in, or whatever crappy rapper of the moment is, you know, that's taking time away. I mean, you just make it a convoluted mess. And then, like, I talk about the kind of the cultural divide in this country of who listens to what and who's tolerant of what. It just is... It, have a normal 12-minute halftime, and let's get back to the game. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. My point is really, like, I don't get the point in bitching about it. I mean, it's always bad, so who cares? Why? If you don't like it, then don't watch. Like, there yeah. is a reasonable amount of time to take a dump in between halves. I mean, Lord knows you're eating garbage. So, you know, just do what you got to do. You have plenty of time. I just don't get the point. If you're going to bitch about the game because somebody's playing like shit, sure, I get it. I had a, a nice heavy pour of bullet at halftime, so that uh There you go. <laughs> I was folding really... laundry. I mean like I, I had <laughs> one eye on the TV to see when it was over. Like I I already know I could care less. I don't know why more people don't just accept that. You're at a party. I mean again, nine yeah. out of ten nine out of ten people who watch the Super Bowl are with other people in some sort of social you know concept whether it's a full-blown party or just a bunch of friends hanging out or something or you're at a bar 
Nobody just sits there by themselves. And if you do, it just, you know, but, you know, again, this is turning to like the culture of, oh, she's wearing this at the Oscars. She looks like shit. She looks great. You know, everybody's a judge. Everybody's an American Idol judge. Everybody thinks they're on their own, you know, reality show. And then they got to get their opinions on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as fast as possible when everybody has the exact same brutal, horrible takes. And, you know, it's just as us who fall into categories two, one, two, and three in those Super Bowl watchers, we just have to kind of deal with the fourth. So let's let's actually talk, let's actually talk about the game now. Like like you said, Grump, go take a dump and come back for the second half. Yeah. Speaking of dumps, how do you think Jared Goff really looked overall in this game? Overwhelmed? I think in the beginning he was overwhelmed. I also thought he was overwhelmed in the beginning of the NFC Championship game. Yeah. And I also remember that he's what in his second year, third year, third year. Third year, well, but I mean, one of the one of the things against him was that he had the physical tools. It was going to be some mental processing with him, you know. Uh, a lot of that may have been covered up by you know, McVeigh has sort of game planned, I guess, around that weakness in his game where you know they really take a lot of time during the week to set up a strategy. And they hurry to the line so that he can still be in Goff's ear while the defense is getting set up. You know, you have to know that a strategy like that not only has a shelf life, but mm-hmm. it's something that Bill Belichick is going to tear apart. Absolutely. I mean, as much as, you know, the uh, the McVeigh, you know, love fest has gone on for the last couple of years, you know, he's still a young coach and still a pretty inexperienced coach, too. And you're going up against the master. And you're going up against the master with a very, you know, relatively inexperienced quarterback. So it wasn't really surprising that they were outmatched and outcoached in, the, in that situation. I think just people are just blasting Goff as the reason why they lost. I don't think that's fair. No. I mean, because again, if you want to look from a numbers perspective, him and Brady's numbers weren't that different. Brady made the big plays in the fourth quarter when, you know, he always does. You know, and that's the big difference, but... I still have to go back to what is the mystery with Todd Gurley? Yeah, if you want to look at statistically the big difference on offenses, it's the running game. Um, you know, before we get into Todd Gurley really briefly, you know, the Patriots have succeeded the opposite way <laughs> of the Giants' downfall. So they have understood what they had in Tom Brady and consistently invested in always upgrading their offensive line. They may not be the most star-studded names, but they're always fresh. They're never getting old. They're always sort of like... They never overspend. Prime. Yeah, they never overspend. They really keep their shit together in front of them. And, you know, they're solid mechanically, you know. Mm-hmm. they Absolutely. And that, and that doubles for the run game. Uh, you know, the Rams, they're really still rebounding from a couple years ago. I mean, this, this fallacy that you can rebuild a team in a one-year turnaround is simply that. It's a fallacy. And let's and, be honest, Grump, I think they're still ahead of schedule. I mean, even last yeah. year, I think they were really ahead of schedule. This team was wretched mm-hmm. when they left St. Louis. They were god-awful. And, you know, last year they showed a lot of signs, obviously, and this year, they, you know, they were the um, they were the two-seed, but just as well could have been the one-seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with a young quarterback. I mean, I know they kind of went all in on the defense with all the, the money they spent on the, like the deals like for Dominic and Sue. And, you know, they went for it with the defense, but this team is ultimately going to be an offensive team. Mm-hmm. That's how they're going to, you know, 
it's kind of like when Brian Billick was the coach of um, Baltimore, where he was known as an offensive mind, but he inherited a team with a great defense. And it took a while for them, and I don't think it ever really happened where they became fully the, you know, the offensive team that he wanted to be. You know, I think this might be the same thing with the Rams, but I think there'll be a lot of turnover on the defensive side for them. You might see that happen sooner than later. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but yeah, so the the difference is really on the, on the ground, and you know this this Todd Gurley thing. You know, they say it's not an injury. They they've continued to insist that. My theory is that it's an injury that's not so bad that he can't play or will do further further damage, but he is probably playing at 60% health, and they've insisted on keeping him on there as a strict decoy. Because, I mean, even when he's in the play, it's clear that he is now the third or fourth option on the play, whether it be a pass play or a run. And we saw basically zero screens, which... You know, I, I seemed to be the counter to everything the Patriots were doing. So they have two counters to that. Then, why is he not on the injury report? You have to be. You have to disclose that, right? I think only if he's, if he's limited in practice and stuff. So I mean, I mean, so he's not limited in practice, but they're limiting him in games. Something's so if he if he is truly hurt and they're not listing him on the injury report, isn't that like finable? Probably, yeah. I'm not saying that they're not breaking rules. Yeah, so that's kind of that's the one thing I'm kind of like, is he really hurt? Because otherwise, you know, and also we've seen enough of this in the last month to be like, there's obviously something wrong with the guy. But you know, even like his demeanor on the sidelines just seems weird and yeah. things. So, and also, if he's only being a decoy, why don't they have a, a third running back who they could use and use as part of that rotation? Is that to hide the decoy also and hope that C.J. Anderson can carry a bigger load? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a risky play, but, I mean, it's also an exploitable rule. I mean, right? I mean, th- this rule, and I understand the way it is, and, I mean, let's be honest. That rule has to do a lot with gambling, doesn't it? It has to do with All fantasy. has to do with – all it is is with gambling. And, right, whether it's fantasy football – uh, draft game, you know, DraftKings one day or now that there's legalized gambling. Yeah. So the trend will be for more data, more information, more accurate information too, because it's big business. Whether the you know the Puritans out there like it or not, that's the way it is now. So um, I don't know if it's truly an injury. I I, I mean, but I we're mean, not in- you're talking about January now. You know, January and February. So. At what player isn't at least a little dinged up? I mean, at what point is this rule like, yeah, I mean, he's dinged up, but he can still play. I mean, he, there's no need to put him on the injury report, etc. I mean, it's it's just a rule, and it doesn't really affect the game so much or the opposing team, but it's just a rule that, that it's hard to enforce that. I mean, if he yeah. shows up for practice and can participate in things like walkthroughs and drills and such, you know, there's no reason to put him on that injury report, but also if he's truly hurt and can't be 100% effective, it's still a viable strategy to not play him. And, you know, as far as the other team is concerned, they don't know what his status is. They have to game plan for him and, you know, divide up time to to, to game plan for him and always be aware of when he's on the field. So, I mean, it was a similar play to what the Patriots did with um, Gronkowski in the 2011 Super Bowl, who was really hurt. I mean, he had the one big play, but he was 
he was clearly not Gronk in that entire playoff run. Right, but he was listed though all the way through. You knew there was an injury problem with yes, him. Yes, of course. But I mean, and it's also, but he continued it's also to going... play when in the regular season he's probably not playing. I mean, he was really a decoy. He did almost nothing in that game. Right, but you're saying Todd Gurley, who's this year one of the five best offensive players in the league this year, probably you know, and apologize to all my Giant fans out there, the best running back in the league this year. You know, the all of a sudden when you get to, you know. The three playoff games, the, the the percentage of uh, you know plays he's in and targets he has goes down so quickly. That's what I'm saying. It it has Plus, to be a reason. There's right. not simply that C.J. Anderson is the hot hand, especially if you look at the game. I mean, no. They no. first of all, C.J. Anderson is a he's a running back. He's not these Swiss Army knife guys who's a offensive weapon or you know and you know. Well, it's not like he had he had seven carries. Well, if I'm a Rams fan, you know, if I'm calling up whatever the fan is in in LA, my question's going to be, why did he have seven carries? What is going on? Don't tell me in the first no the the you know, I, he said it in the first game, the first playoff game, he just was not involved in the flow of the game. That's horseshit. These guys make their own flow of the game. And I know he had the one uh ball come off his hands for the pick and everything, but we're not talking about the difference between Wayne Gallman versus, you know, whatever shitty running back we had two years ago. We're talking about, you know, again, probably the best running back in the league right now. Yep. I mean, he has to be hurt. And, you know, something, and if this is something where they get fined, you know, I don't think it's anything as serious as losing a draft pick over, but, you know, if they get fined for this, maybe that will just teach these other teams in the future, you know, we have these injuries. Because, you know, it's, it's not even so much for the gamblers. It's just, if I was a Rams fan, I would like some peace of mind to know what happened. Is is I'd rather know that he was injured than thinking all of a sudden my coach is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think of the outrage that would happen, you know, in New York if all of a sudden that uh, you know this shit Saquon, would, Saquon I mean, had four we went ape shit this year when yeah, it was, so I was gonna say it was like week seven of a losing season and people were blowing their lids. Exactly. So yeah. I mean, it but, might just have to do with that the Rams have no fans. <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, there, there is not a fervent, you know, fan base. There's not a zealous, you know, Rams group that, you know, that fair, nationally fair. we would know that there is like an uproar going on in Los Angeles, you know. But there was also, you know, yesterday, hundreds of millions of dollars that were gambled on the I point agree. spread, the over-under, uh, prop bets. All these different things that, you know, yes, they're not Rams fans, but for those four hours last night, they, they were, were very, yeah. they were very big girly fans, very big over fans. I mean, I got destroyed. We had all these fun prop bets we we're doing at our Super Bowl party, you know, would this score be closer to uh, Belichick's age as opposed to McVay's age? Uh, you know, how many fourth quarter touchdowns would be scored? And all these things just went way under, you know, and if you have, you know, $5 or $10,000 on something, you care. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I kind of want to go over a little bit of what Jared Goff was like, and uh, he clearly to me looked flustered and lost without coach's guidance. And it's the only reason I want to bring it up is not to trash him because I could care less. It's 
you know, as the Giants are pivoting into this offseason, and that's that's where our podcast is going to be focusing on for like the next forever, it feels like. <laughs> um, it's really important that I say this, that Goff was the consensus number one quarterback in that draft, and he had serious concerns. You know, he he put up big numbers at Cal. You know, he, he certainly could throw. We all knew he could throw, mm-hmm. but th- there was real problems. And these problems, you can't just whitewash over. You know, Sean McVay has done a lot to work around them. But at a certain point, he has to take the next step to be comfortable in the pocket, work through his progressions, you know, read defenses at the line. He's got to do that. I mean, that's just what the NFL is now. If he can't do that, then they need to build a better team around him. They need an offensive line that's going to give him forever in the pocket. They already have the you know the running back, but I mean, they need a wide receiver that's going to get separation every time he's on one-on-one coverage. Otherwise, but isn't that the I, case with everybody though? I mean, <laughs> you know, you kind of need to have. You don't need no. to have all of those things. I mean, you know, Tom Brady certainly doesn't have that. I mean, obviously, I just picked the, the upper echelon, but I mean. Shit, man! For for years, Eli Manning hasn't had that, and he's made managed to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys like Ryan Tannehill. You know, they they managed to make things work. You know, these these things. When we say, "Oh, that he can develop that," don't be so sure that it can be developed. You know, well, we're on year three of golf now, and and a a major part of a quarterback's game has not really been developed all that much. Well, I mean, to multiple points to this one the rams still had a top five passing offense this year so let's not we're not talking about you know a quarterback who is you know inept no i understand this is not this is not inept you know we're three years out you can't do the well as the number one overall pick he should be at x i mean he did go to a Super Bowl in his third. Exactly. I I just want to, that's exactly my point. Yes, you're right. We're picking picking nits a little bit with him, but um, yes, he has to obviously still has to develop. He can't play like this. This can't be his ceiling of his development. Yes. This isn't directed at Goff. I'm using Goff as an example as the Giants go into the offseason needing a quarterback. You know, when you look at guys and you're like picking apart their deficiencies, don't be so sure that their ceiling is so further up from where it is. That's oh, all I'm course. saying. You know what I mean? Like when you say like, well, you know, he's only had, I, I'm going to pick Dwayne Haskins because, you know, he's the number one guy, but obviously we're going to get more into this when I watch more of his tape and we have a true episode about this. But when you say, oh, well, you know, he's only had one year, you know, we don't really know what his ceiling is, whatever. Like, yeah, we don't know. You have no proof that his ceiling is super high. Then, you don't have any more of that than I have proof that a ceiling is where it's at. So be cautious. You can't just bank on that. Yeah, nothing, 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 nothing is a guarantee. Yeah. I mean, guys like Ryan Leaf, there was a real, real debate in 1998 mm-hmm. who should be the number one quarterback yeah, taken, you're right. Peyton or Ryan Leaf. I mean, you look at him in his undies at the, the combine, Ryan Leaf is the perfect package, you know, and – you can't measure what's between the ears. You can't measure maturity. You can't measure how people handle pressure. You know, so it's not just physical things. So anybody who thinks that taking quarterback X or player Y is, well, we just solved our problems for the next 12 years, that's not the case. Yeah. We have been very, very lucky to have a quarterback that's been around for 15 years. Mm-hmm. That is 
how many of those do you have? You it's know, unnatural. I mean, it's it's it, not it, normal. Right. That you're talking about of the 32 starting quarterbacks, you're talking probably about five or six that have been around for a decade with the same team, let alone have been in the league for for so long. So don't compare everything to you know the Eli prism, you know the good and the bad with Eli. Uh, it, it's it's all about the situation. You know, when a quarterback is coming in, how fast will they develop? What type of offense is he going into? Is there, are we going to an offense that require a quarterback to throw 40 to 50 times a game? Are requiring a quarterback in an offense that's, you know, downhill bombs away? Or is it more ball control or more West Coast or more power running? All of these things in, impact and influence the development. What kind of coaching staff is around him? You know, again, McVay is getting all of this love. Do we really know he's a great coach? Do we really know that his coordinators are – you know, the best at developing, you know, we don't know these things just yet. And we know Wade Phillips on the defensive side is a good defensive coach, but, you know, all you hear now is the, the McVay coaching tree and all his assistants are getting poached. He hasn't developed that pedigree yet to say, here's example A, B, C, D of what he's done. And and to further your point, you know, this, this notion that's being pushed now that I've seen today um, that, you know, People are seeing the model of the the Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff model of drafting a guy and letting him sit for a year. That is not a all-encompassing plan. Do you understand? Like, Patrick Mahomes was an athletic freak that could throw... I mean, I'm going to pull the clip of our review of quarterbacks that year because we were doing a podcast at that time, and I loved the guy. So I can I can clout myself for that. But it was clear that he was an athletic freak with a fire hose for an arm you know and it was clear that he was no dummy you know he just didn't have as much experience as other guys and he didn't go to a great big school i mean he went to texas tech but i mean you know they're kind of looked down upon especially in the mental processing department and going through progressions and things like that you don't have to and not only that he's going to a system where the the incumbent quarterback is not a total shit fire. The fan base isn't the kind of place that's going to burn the organization down because they're not playing the guy that they just drafted. And Andy Reid is a quarterback coach. So, I mean, that situation is not necessarily the same as Pat Shermer and Eli Manning and whoever you're drafting. It's it's super important that I point that out. I mean, if we're going to take... From, for example, I mean, the guy does not necessarily need a full year as a sitting down. I mean, would it benefit him? Probably. There's a whole other situation there. Who is he sitting behind? Who's coaching him up? I mean, if you have a shit-ass quarterbacks coach on staff, it doesn't serve him at all to not be getting that year's experience. Every situation is different. This notion that you can just take a philosophy that's worked in an anecdotal situation and apply it to be the way to do something is silly. So anybody that just says, we should draft Dwayne Haskins, we should sit him for a year, and we should be good the next year. I mean, first of all, you're admitting that one year is a total fucking loss, which, right. you know, that's fine if you truly believe that. But just understand that that's what you're saying. And two, I mean, there's a variety of other factors there. So including the fact that we don't know that Dwayne Haskins has that upside. I mean, he is certainly not the athletic freak. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Put quarterback X into that spot, whether it's in the 2019 draft or the 2020 draft. Because as we brought up that scenario a couple weeks ago where, you know, the plan may be if they're not in love with Dwayne Haskins – 
is just to build that cap, that that draft capital, and use it for next year, yeah. where there's a, a lot better options out there. Grump, for 95 years in the NFL, the model was you don't start a quarterback right away. You, you he sits and he learns. So all of a sudden, you know, again, anecdotal evidence of guys who came out of the shoot and played well kind of went like, well, that's everybody thought they can do that. Everything applies based upon what your team is. You know, are you a three and thirteen team where you have time to develop? Are you a team that, you know, could be a playoff team? You know, what's the salary cap implication of the quarterback ahead of them? I mean, you're not just gonna cut bait with someone, you know, and and have all this dead money just because you want to start the guy. I mean, it's just I don't um, – you see it all the time in the NFL. It's such a copycat league, mm-hmm. and you never see the copycats ever be as successful as the innovator for something because for the innovator, everything clicked at the right moment in the right time. Exactly. Basically, the, the point I'm making is the NFL is not a math formula. You cannot just plug in variables into a statement and make it work. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be fluid. You have to figure out how it's going to work because you cannot just adapt a model and run with it because the NFL changes and and your personnel is not another team's personnel. I mean, you know, drafting Kyler Murray is not the same as drafting Jared Goff. There are huge differences Mm -hmm. and that model may not work. So, you know, I just want to preface that as we're, we're now pivoting out of the Super Bowl because I don't fucking care anymore. And... We're, we're heading back into this just Giants podcast now that the playoffs are over. So mm-hmm. for, for those of you who are listening, like, just get that in mind. If the Giants don't draft Wayne Haskins and you're upset because they could have done this model, you don't know that. You don't know that. And it's, I, also, it's also Eli Manning. It's not his job to be a quarterback coach and a mentor. Yeah. Eli Manning's job, because we're all pretty much assuming, uh, I think Grump and I are – pretty much on the same page that we think he's going to be starting in 2019 opening day. Yes. His job is to prepare for the 2019 season. His job is to prepare for him to be successful for this offense to be successful. It is not his job to take a quarterback under his wing and do all of those things to in effect be another quarterback coach. I mean, it sounds romantic. It sounds good, but you know, I mean, he's, that, did, he's going to do the same things that every veteran does, show the rookie the ropes. Listen, man, if you want to be a starter in this league, this is what you've got to do. I mean, that happens at every position level. I mean, mm-hmm. shit, we've we've talked about it with Jonathan Stewart, you know, whatever. It, it, it's one of those things where, yes, he is going to mentor him, but only to a certain extent. I mean, they're going to be in the same room in the quarterbacks meeting where they go over film and stuff. But at the end of the day... Eli's job is to lead by example in the way that exactly he, and not be- he, he prepares for the game and that's showing the younger guy what needs to be done to be a winner. Right. And not that's be, it. and not be the dick like the Brett Favre, who was the opposite to a guy like Aaron Rodgers, where he treated him like a rookie. Mm-hmm. And when you treat someone like a rookie, you know, there's all the hazing and all the basically treating someone like a, you know, I'm not a second class citizen until they've earned those stripes of being, uh, you know, second year and further on. So I, you know, I don't know Eli Manning personally, but I don't think he's that type of personality to do that. I mean, the guy runs a quarterback camp with his brother and his father. So I think he, you know, inherently is 
more open to things. But again, don't overrate the mentoring thing as any more than watch how this guy prepares. Yeah. And that's just kind of it. And uh, I guess on that note, there was uh, a, some our, – our first Giants news, I guess, of the offseason is the uh, Giants officially parted ways with Connor Barwin. No big surprise. No big surprise. I think we all thought it was coming. I mean he's also at the twilight of his career where we don't really know if he's going to be signed by another team. I mean he's, he's a good player. I'm not trying to say he's not, but – you know, he was a minimum signing, not not a veteran minimum, but he was a low signing with uh, some upside. That Lorenzo Carter, who has come on a lot faster than I expected. I think I predicted at the beginning of the year that by like after the bye week, he would be like a star. He was a starter by like week four or something like that. Yeah, and really showed in the second half of the year a lot more too, a lot more promise, a lot more excitement going yeah. forward too. Um, and he credited a lot of that to Connor Barwin, really showing him the tricks of the trade. And that's what I mean. I mean – this kind of thing is really all it is. Like, listen, you're doing it right, but, you know, you're at the big leagues now. Every step counts. You can't take that extra step. you got to really, you know, whatever. And just little things like that. And, uh, yeah. you know. I think the big thing for me coming with, with this, you know, them getting rid of him has been more the reaction and more how people take this as a reflection or as a uh, a scorecard moment for Gettleman yeah. more than anything. It's like, oh, there's another bad move, another bad free agent signing, another, you know, is this guy, you know, doing what he the best he can or something? And again, if you're going to take every single signing and have that litmus test, first of all, you're going to make yourself mental. Second of all, you're not putting in any proper context. I mean, if we want to go through all 32 general managers and kind of go through every single free agent signing, every single trade, every single draft pick, guess what? Nobody out there is 100%. Nobody drafts seven pro bowlers. <laughs> Nobody signs you know, five pro bowl uh, free agents every year. Guys are going to hit. Guys are going to miss. We're talking, we just talked five minutes ago about you know, is a quarterback going to ever hit with like a number one pick or something or you know, what's the upside? Well, if you're talking about guys that are making only a few million a year, you can't just take every single signing and make a scorecard out of it because it's it's not fair to Gettleman and it's incredibly short-sighted. Well, there, there's a couple things. A, we're five and eleven, right? Whether mm-hmm. they were good or bad draft picks is is not really, or sorry, not draft picks, but free agent signings, etc., acquisitions. I guess I should say, you know, was anyone truly great in a five and eleven year? I mean, very few. <laughs> um, and beyond that, I mean. The Patriots scored 13 points in a Super Bowl, okay? Ten of which were in the final eight minutes of the game. About eight minutes, yeah. Yeah. Um, They very nearly lost the game. You know, it came down to an interception very close to the red zone. Had they lost to the Rams and they were only able to put up ten points because that was kind of the situation at the time, I mean, is it? would it have been fair to criticize them going for the risk of going after Josh Gordon and then not getting him to play and not being able to put up points. I mean, sure, there is a completely different narrative. It's a completely different narrative. But it's it's just, the, you could cherry pick yeah. any situation that doesn't pan out. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And you know, well, what are we talking about? We're talking about such a minor signing in late, late in the off season, and you know, on, on a rebuild. You know, I mean. There's going to be dud signings. They are stopgap solutions. So that is absolutely what Connor Barwin was. 
Right. And one of our mantras on this show has always been you sign free agents to do a short term solution. You draft for long term. Yeah. And a team that, you know, had three wins last year, had five wins this year. There are no short term solutions going to make that much of a difference. And then you throw in what our cap situation was. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Or someone like that, you know, tell me about the guy we spent a ton of money on. You know, yeah. if we re- if we sign Odell Beckham for that massive contract and all of a sudden next year he plays 16 games, has 50 catches for 600 yards and nine drops and gets suspended once by the league, then you can say that's a bad signing. That's a bad that's a a do we fire the GM because you screwed the organization type of bad signing. Worrying about probably the. 40th guy on the roster yeah. on a five and 11 team. Are we really going to get our, our panties in a bunch about that? Yeah. Well, no, we shouldn't be, but this is officially the start to the panties in an uproar season where everything's <laughs> going to get blown out of proportion. But I relish in this sort of, you know, this chess game of the, the draft and all this stuff. So this is one of my favorite times of the year. So, Next week, right? Next week, we're going to start our review of the roster and how we look at it, where the holes are, you know, where potential cuts are, where the building blocks are. And uh, that will kickstart us into the draft season. Um, Yeah, I think we'll start probably by – I think a fun thing we'll do is we can both identify what we feel are the five biggest needs going into draft Mm -hmm. free agency, you know – Guys coming off the, you know, cut downs for different things because, uh, like, you know, there's roster cuts before June 1st. I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see comparing the two of us. What do we, what do we view as the biggest needs going forward from a, a unit standpoint, an individual person standpoint, a philosophy standpoint? Once we kind of level set that, we'll start getting into our, you know, our breakdowns of each of the different position groups. Yep. So you can catch that next week. We are we are on our we're going to stay on our one podcast a week uh, going into, but they'll be much longer. Um, this will have much more to, to cover and talk about. So as always, you will be able to find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can find me on Twitter at at football underscore grump. You can find me as always at the cranky fan, and uh, for all those who are still listening to Static on iTunes, yes, I've not gotten to fixing it yet. I apologize. <laughs> Been on a couple of road trips lately, so I will work on that this week. But in the meantime, definitely listen to us on SoundCloud for sure. Subscribe, download, do whatever you do on SoundCloud. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Yep. All right, everybody. Happy 2019 offseason. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.